Uh, this morning, we are graced with the presence of Pastor Sel Shelton. And, uh, graced is strong. Graced is strong. The grace is strong, bro. <laughs> Uh, he planted the Way Church uh, in Springfield, Missouri in 2008. He's a dear friend and brother to LifePoint and to us. Uh, he's been a personal friend to Pastor Lane uh, for the last 17 years and served under him in ministry in a previous church and has also worked alongside him in numerous church planning endeavors through Plan Ozarks and the Acts 29 network. And so Pastor Seth's a dear friend and a good brother to LifePoint. Uh, and we are excited to have him bring the word to us this morning. So will you join me in welcoming Pastor Seth this morning? Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> the, uh, I, I count it an honor to be here. Um, I, I told him the, that graced with my presence is probably strong. You get to know me a little bit, you'll wonder why in the world am I here. But the, it, it, I guess it's the grace of God, really. And I count it a true honor. It's a blessing to me. Uh, Life Point. Uh, you may not even realize this, but I count Life Point in our church planting journey. My wife and I, uh, Amy, who's here with me today, um, I count Life Point as uh, my Philippi. And so I don't know if you're familiar, but in Philippians, Paul's writing and he's just thanking the Philippian church uh, for their partnership in the ministry. And he tells them, "You are the first partners that I had at the beginning of my ministry. You're the first partners I had." And and in, and and truly, as we stepped out and began to plant. Uh, Pastor Lane came alongside me as a coach, a mentor. He serves, and I mean, he's just been a blessing to me. He's been a, an older brother. I, I called him a spiritual father when he came on our anniversary, and to, to be honest, that would make him really old compared to me. And so he's really a big brother uh, to me and has been just a blessing. And, and really, whether you realize it or not, you bless us in, in a lot of ways. In fact, we were here just this last week grabbing your decorations after VBS so that we can use them again, so that we don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to come up with some of our own. So anyway, thank you for that. I hope that today I'll be uh, some measure of a blessing to you. I pray that that'll be the case. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 today, carrying on with your uh, series through the Beatitudes. And before we get into it, before we read the passage or read the verse, I'd just like to start with a question. What do you want in life? What are your goals? What is it that you really, truly, deeply desire? What do you prioritize time, energy, and money to gain or achieve? Like you just do an inventory of yourself right now and just think about that. See, often we know what we should desire. Often we know the right thing to desire, the good desire, but we desire something else more. And then that competing desire is the thing that we commit our time, energy, and money toward. For example, if if you had met me as a much younger person, as, as about 17 years old, and you'd asked me what my goals in life were, what do you want to do when you grow up, I would have told you I want to be an astronaut. Well, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, I'm not an astronaut. <laughs> Never happened. I, I found out that astronauts have to have this, this, math, this knowledge of math, like this education in math, and, and all of this. Higher, I, I, I took Algebra 1 and Algebra 2 in high school. And that was enough math for me forever. Like, that's all I wanted. That's all I desired to know about math was, was that. I didn't want any more. And so I decided I, I can't be an astronaut. And, and, and so I thought, well, I'll lower my sights a little bit. If I can't go into space, I want to get close to it, so I'll be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And, well, I didn't do that either. 
Because what I found out is that in the Air Force, if you're going to be a fighter pilot, you've got to do much the same. You've got to know much of the same stuff that astronauts do. In fact, if you don't know this, astronauts and fighter pilots are kind of connected to one another. They, they typically have served in, in some way in similar fashion. And, and, and so I, I was like, well, I know I don't want to do math. And I had decided I didn't want to go to college because I don't like to write papers, which in, in, a, in and of itself is kind of ironic because I write a paper every week now. I thought, I, I can't do that either. You see, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what my goals were, but I knew what my goals weren't. I knew what I didn't want, and that desire drove me. It moved me to action. So I was at high school. It was, I was about 17 years old, and uh, uh, a, an Army recruiter comes to the high school and shows us, shows us this video And I'm going to tell you, my life took on a whole new meaning. This video had a Cobra attack helicopter. I don't know if you've ever seen one. It's a a tandem pilot helicopter. It was the predecessor to the Apache. It's better. But this helicopter was flying across the tops of the trees. It would drop down into fields. Then it would pop up just in time, shooting 20-millimeter guns out the nose of the aircraft, tow missiles and rockets firing off the stub wings, blowing up tanks and targets being obliterated. And as a 17-year-old little boy, I was like mesmerized. You see, I know what I didn't want. And in that day, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to blow stuff up. And that desire led me. So I joined the Army. It wasn't an easier calling. It wasn't an easier path. I got to do a lot of push-ups, more push-ups than I think is really right for a person to do. We had this guy who, would, who, who couldn't march in formation. He would step right when everybody else is stepping left. So his head goes one way, our head goes another way. And the drill starts to be dropped. Did a lot of push-ups. Ran way farther than I ever wanted to or ever will want to. Again, ever? I, I think even in heaven, I don't think I'm going to run anywhere. <laughs> I bet we won't get tired, but I just don't think I'll have a desire to run. And, and, and so it wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't willing to pay the price. It wasn't that I wasn't willing to put up with something. I mean, Desert Shield was turning to Desert Storm. Desert Shield, the, the military initiative, the movement turned to war, like there was a declaration of war. I knew what I was facing when I signed up, nobody knew the war was only going to last 36 hours. I mean, we, we thought we were going to war. But my desire made me willing to commit. It was the path I knew I had to take if I wanted to blow stuff up. It led me. Let me just ask you, as we sit here this morning, before we read this passage, what is it that you desire? you truly, deeply desire that you commit time and energy and money to gain or achieve a desire that you truly seek to satisfy. The reason I ask is because Jesus speaks directly to our desires in this fourth beatitude from his Sermon on the Mount. And he unveils for us a a desire that leads to satisfaction It's not satisfaction that he says desire. He leads us to a place where he says this desire gives way to satisfaction. I think that's awesome. I think think every one of us can agree in the end we want to be satisfied. 
vital that we hear this today. Well, let's read it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, I don't need a show of hands. I don't want to do a poll. I'm not trying to point anybody out. But I wonder how many of us, if we didn't have the the precursor of the text we were going to or or the the knowledge of where we were heading in in the Scripture, I wonder, could we, would we have answered the question, what do I desire in life? Could we have answered that question with righteousness? Now, I know in a room like this, in a church like this, in a a church that loves Jesus and longs to see Jesus made much of, I'm confident that there's people sitting in this room that maybe you didn't use the word righteous or righteousness in your answer, but, but you see how it correlates. Maybe there's people sitting in the room who read the verse and, and they changed their answer immediately. They're like, oh, no, that's really what I want. I want righteousness. I hunger and thirst. I desire righteousness. But I think we'd be naive to assume that in a room like this, there aren't also those people who've never thought about putting righteousness in their list of goals, their list of desires, their list of things they long for. R.C. Sproul, you've probably heard of R.C. Sproul. He's a Uh, a a very popular Christian leader, recently passed away, but he wrote of an experience like this. As a Christian, he found himself in this exact place where even as a Christian, he had never, uh, never set aside righteousness as his desire. He writes this. He says, some years ago, I spoke with a man whose business was to help people plan for the future. He asked about my goals, about what I wanted to accomplish in life. As I went through this exercise, I noticed that one thing was conspicuously absent from my goals. There was nothing there about righteousness. I thought, what's wrong with this picture? How could a Christian establish life goals and not have at the top the attainment of righteousness in the sight of God? The the truth is, is even of those of us that that recognize that we desire his righteousness and and, and those who, who have never put it on their list, I think there's some place that we can kind of stand in the middle and say we're all the same that we've got these this list of desires this set of competing desires that long to be satisfied that we want satisfied we may even be like rc sproul and never have listed it in our in in our life goals in our desires my intent today my my prayer is not to shame or condemn or or bring guilt or condemnation on you it's My hope, my prayer, my hunger and thirst is for you and and, and me to have a growing appetite, a growing thirst for the righteousness that leads to satisfaction. I hope that's what happens today. I hope that's what the Lord uses this word today to do. If we're going to do that, then we have to understand exactly what Jesus is saying. And so to strive to do that, I'm going to answer this question. What is hunger and thirst for righteousness? What is it? What is Jesus saying? What is it to hunger and thirst for righteousness? I'm going to answer that question three ways, three different perspectives. First, 
I would say, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire to be conformed to God's image. A desire to be conformed to God's image. And I get that basically by seeking to define the terms that Jesus has used. He speaks of hunger and thirst. These are obviously basic human desires. We get hungry, and that's, that, that leads us to this place where we desire food. Like, I, I'm hungry, I want something to eat. We get thirsty, we want something to drink. These are basic human desires that lead us to look outside of ourselves to be satisfied. When we're thirsty, we don't think, oh, I can just stand on my own and fix this thirst, right? If, if I don't drink something, if I don't take something in from outside me, I'll die. If I don't eat food, if I don't take something from outside of me, I will die. These must be satisfied. They are not creature comforts. These are real, true, deeply, deep, deep needs that we have. And so I think Jesus intentionally uses them to demonstrate desires that must be met from without. Second, I would suggest that the definition of the term righteousness helps us see this desire to be conformed to God's image. And rather than give an academic definition to try to help you see this, I, I don't think that would be bad, but I came across a very helpful description from Sinclair Ferguson in his book, Sermon on the Mount. He writes this. The idea behind the biblical word righteousness is probably conformity to a norm. Given that norm, righteousness is the situation in which things are what they ought to be. Righteousness being conformed to a norm, God is that norm. Whether we accept him as such, such or not, you don't have to believe that. You don't have to accept that. The world doesn't have to accept it. God is that norm. He is the creator. He is the designer. It is in him that all things find their being and find their purpose. He's the one that put it all together. But he not only sets the standard, he is the standard. He's, he, he is the standard for all things. This is true of everything in the creation but especially true for you and for me. As his image bearers, we, we, we hold a special position. As image bearers of God, we, we hold a very special position in the created order. We reflect his image. We are reflections of him in ways that nothing else, it, it is true of nothing else. And so to, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is a desire. It's a, it's a desire, a an intrinsic need to be what God created us to be. It's a desire to be conformed to his image. And rather than seeking to make him like us, like bring him down and make him in my image, it's us longing to be made like him. It's us desiring to be what he created us to be. But before we move on, I just want you to see there's two aspects of this that are very, it's, it's, I think it's important for us to understand. This desire to be conformed to the image of God, I, I would say is first, the first perspective that I would encourage you to see is that this is from his perspective. We desire to be conformed to God's image. It's a desire to be declared righteous by God. We can't say that we hunger and thirst for righteousness if we don't have some desire for God to say, you're righteous. It's at the very heart of it. It's a longing, a desire, a, a, a true and, and, and deep longing to, to hear God say, you're innocent. You are being conformed. You are, are conformed to my image. 
Doctrinally speaking, this is called justification. It's that legal declaration of our innocence from God. He no longer counts our sin against us. Instead, he views us as if we were sinless. As if sin had never marred our image. From his perspective, he sees his image shining forth. He justifies us and calls us righteous. The second perspective, I think, we bring it down a little bit. It's not just his perspective of us, but our perspective of us. So God has decreed us to be innocent. And because he has, well, now we want to live in innocence. Because he justifies us, we seek to live justified lives. And so rather than just hide our sin back, we put it back in that closet. Nobody goes back there and opens that closet up. There's a bunch of junk in it. If they, if they open it, it'll all fall out on top. And then nobody does that. So, so I'll just hide all my sin back there. I'll sweep it under this rug. And hopefully nobody will trip over that lump under the rug. But are not just hiding it. We're digging in. We're uprooting it. We're seeking to, to get it out. We don't deny it. We don't pretend that we're not sinners. We seek to deal with it. We uproot our sin and we seek to live in this, in this holy, purified life. Jesus, or God, has called us righteous and now we try to live righteous. Biblically, doctrinally, this, this process is called sanctification. We desire him to see us as righteous. And he says, in Christ you're justified. But if we're honest, we struggle don't we? We recognize the lack of it. And in this process, we grow to become what God has already declared us to be. And so we, we desire his perspective. You're conformed to my image. We desire in our perspective to live in such a way that that becomes a reality. Justification, sanctification, uh, his perspective of our righteousness and our perspective of the righteousness that he's bestowed upon us. My desire to be conformed to God's image is a desire for his image to shine both from his view and ours. That's, that's what we're talking about. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness, first answer is to desire to be conformed to God's image, to have what he created us to be, be true about us. Now, to further answer that question, we don't want to just define terms. We need to look at this phrase in its broader context. We need to see how it fits in the whole scheme of things. And first, to, 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 to give you the kind of overarching answer for this, the second way we'd answer the question is to hunger and thirst for righteousness is God's blessing on God's people. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to be blessed by God. Jesus is not making some, uh, he's not giving us a rule to follow. He's not saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst and you follow this rule and you'll find satisfaction. He's not giving us a command to obey. He is making a statement of fact about the people who reside in his kingdom. This is a, just a statement of truth. And we're not talking about those things that we know we should desire. We're not talking about those superficial creature comforts that we desire. We're talking about that true desire that's within us that leads us to action, that desire that, that we commit time, energy, and money to see satisfied. This desire, if we have this desire, we are blessed. We have been 
blessed by God. He has given us what we need to be happy, to find joy. Think of it like this. Before we, before we go a little bit further, let me just give you an illustration. I think it'll help de- describe what I'm trying to say. We sit down at a meal, and we sit down, and oftentimes we'll pray a prayer like this. Father, thank you for, or, or I'm sorry, Father, bless this food for the nourishment of our body. Now, I'm, if you say that, I'm not trying to poke fun at you. I'm just, I just want you to see what's happening. We're asking God to bless the food that he's blessed us with. So essentially we're saying bless the blessing. See, because if you have food to eat, you've already been blessed, right? He's already blessed you by providing your need. So many times I'll sit down and I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll go to pray for our food and I'll just thank him. Thank you, Father, for this food. Thank you for providing. Similarly, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope you, I hope you see this. If you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, then you can quit running around looking for blessings in all the circumstances of life. Although those aren't bad. I mean, I long to have blessings in my circumstances. Like, I want, I want to know his blessing tangibly in the circumstances of my life. But, but I don't have to run around and, and try to find that blessing anymore. Because if I have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, well, a, a desire that compels me to action, then I can know I'm blessed. Because Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to be blessed by God because only those who have been made righteous will truly desire righteousness. This is a distinctly Christian desire. The teaching of Scripture is clear. We step back and look at the whole breadth of the Scripture. It's clear that the Old Testament reveals to us a people who are just jacked up. They are messed up. It is like uh, stories of Jerry Springer all over the Old Testament. Like You don't even have to turn on the television to, to, to see some of the just depravity of mankind. I mean, you just open the Old Testament, you see people who regularly, over and over, run into sinful, just sinful situation after situation, rejecting the very God who by his own choice sovereignly decreed that he was going to be gracious to them. We move to the, Old, or to the New Testament and we can see Paul clearly, in, in part, he clearly makes this point. Romans 3, 9 through 12. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. That means no one is righteous, not, not one. There's no exception in, in this created order. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. If that were the end of the book of Romans, that, that would be, that'd be hopeless. I mean, there's no one who seeks after God. But thanks be to God, Paul has much more to say. And it, it begins, the tables turn and the tide turns just a few verses later. We see it in Romans 23 through 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's summarizing what he's just said. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because God has seen fit to bestow upon his people righteousness, they begin to desire his righteousness. 
They develop a taste for his righteousness. They develop a thirst for his righteousness. This conformity, this righteousness, this conformity to God's image is a distinctly Christian desire. If you're sitting in this room today and you desire, and if you hunger and thirst, if you desire his righteousness, then you have been blessed by God with this desire. You don't have to wonder anymore. You don't have to think into the next situation that you don't understand. Or you, what has God forgotten me? What is happening here? Is he, is he out to get me? No. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you have a growing desire for his righteousness, you've been blessed. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to be blessed by God because this desire points us to the source of his righteousness to see our deepest needs met. These first three Beatitudes, and you've studied them over the last few weeks, they point us inward. You just go back into the scripture and you see it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They, they, they point inward to, to traits within us. And they, and they give us a picture of our spiritual neediness, our spiritual dependence, our, our position before God. But God doesn't intend to leave us in a place that is just filled with need with no answer. Again, I'm, I'm indebted to Sinclair Ferguson's help here in his, his teaching here in his book, the, the Sermon on the Mount. He writes, the work of God in giving us true knowledge of ourselves is not intended to increase this. Rather, it is the way to decrease it. For once we have discovered that we have no resources to save ourselves, we learn to look elsewhere to Christ, to Christ, to meet our needs. This is important, again, I think is why Jesus uses the terms hungry and thirsty, because we must look outside, we must look past ourselves. I don't have anything within me to, to fix my spiritual poverty or the mourning that I feel when I see my spiritual poverty. I have nothing within me to walk in front of God's throne and say, God, you must act. You must do as I command. Who, who, who has the nerve to do that? To enter into his presence and humility and meekness, to be gentle with others, because what do I deserve? This brings me to a place where I look to the one, where I look to the one that can satisfy. You see, this desire is a distinctly Christian desire. It's not something that everybody, everybody in the world knows there's something missing. Everybody knows there's something off. You hear it all around you today. Everybody's screaming, moaning about something. There's something wrong. This is not the way it's intended to be. Everybody's striving after something. But this desire, this hunger and thirst for righteousness is a distinctly Christian desire because God blesses his people with it as he points them to the one who actually brings it who he points us to the one who says i am the bread of life who promises a water when drank will never leave us thirsty again which brings us to the final reason i think it's right to consider this as god's blessing on god's people 
to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to be blessed by God because he satisfies all who desire his righteousness with his righteousness. There's no promise in the world that says if you desire this thing and you go after this thing and you get this thing, there's no promise that the world can offer like this. But the God of heaven, whose image we desire to be conformed to, says those who hunger this way will be satisfied. You don't have more that you need. You don't have more that you want. There's not more that you can gain. See, see, Jesus says this person might, he doesn't say you might be satisfied. He doesn't say you could be satisfied. He says you will be satisfied. This is his promise to his people. It's a distinctly Christian desire and it's a distinctly Christian promise from the God who created us, who chose us to be conformed to his image. He's stating a fact about these people. So he's not holding something up that might be. He's holding up something that will be. It is his promise that those who have found themselves lacking in righteousness, who have developed an appetite for him and his righteousness, this blessed result of the blessing of God is that it is being bestowed upon us now, but will one day fully be satisfied. This is not some isolated promise and some some statement in Matthew in, in, in this list of Beatitudes. This is the perspective of the entire Scripture. That's why the psalmist wrote, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's not delight yourself in these things and He'll give you these things. It's delight yourself in the Lord. If He is your delight, He will satisfy your desires. If you want Him, you'll get Him. John, Jesus, John records for us as Jesus has fed the multitude. He's fed the 5,000, two loaves and five fish, and they go looking for him the next day. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And we read it before the service as the offering was about to be taken, and we're reading from the book of Revelation in the end. He says, they will never hunger and they will never thirst Again, every tear will be wiped away. All the pain will be ended. Death will have no victory. Brothers and sisters, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire to be conformed to God's image. It's to be made righteous in his sight, to be made righteous in our life. And it is to be blessed because the promise is that he will satisfy us. You see, the beauty of this is, is that you see that the, the lack of satisfaction in our life is not because we don't have enough stuff. It's not because we don't have the right job. It's not because we don't have enough money in the bank, because we don't have enough cars in the garage, enough toys in the, in, in, in the house. It's, it, it's not because we haven't accumulated enough or need to accumulate more. Our lack of satisfaction, Jesus ties directly to our lack of righteousness. If we recognize within ourselves a lacking righteousness and we turn to him, the one who satisfies, his promise is that's where you find satisfaction. If you find yourself today unsatisfied, discontented, it's not because you need more stuff in this life. It's because you need more Christ forever. Brothers and sisters, this is a promise that blesses us. 
so that we don't have to run around looking for more blessing. It's a blessing we get to walk in every day because what he says is true. Well, finally, third, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to participate in Jesus' mission to advance his righteousness. It's to desire to be conformed to God's image. It's to, 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 to see, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is God's blessing on God's people. And to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to participate in Jesus' mission to advance his righteousness. And we looked at the first three Beatitudes. You saw those over the last few weeks explained more deeply. And you're going to see the next four explained in the weeks to come. But, but let me just point you to them now. Because first, the, the first three look inward. The next one causes us to look to God for what we're lacking. And then the next four point us out at the world around us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So be merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. So live pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. That means making peace. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. These all have to do with how we live in the world in which we reside today. See, where the first three Beatitudes looked inward, this one looks outward and how we participate in this world. The promise of satisfaction, the hunger for, for righteousness is not just about us. It's about looking out at a world that is devoid of the righteousness of God and longing for them to be satisfied in the same way you have been satisfied. Jesus is setting this example for us. On this particular day, standing on the side of this mountain, mountain teaching his disciples, he talks to them about this kingdom that he's establishing, this righteousness that he's advancing, and he's setting the example. Because if you think about it, the only thing that doesn't apply to him in this whole list of beatitudes is poor in spirit. He mourned. He was meek. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness. That's why he put on flesh, dwelt among us, lived with us, died on a cross in our place for our sins because he desired the righteousness of God, not just for himself, but for his people. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. And I don't know, but, but I think I kind of hinted at the end of the story already. He was persecuted for righteousness sake. He got up and did something because he desired the righteousness of God so much. He humbled himself to the place of a servant. He took on flesh. He submitted himself. He humbled him to death. Not just any death, but death on a cross. Because he knows what we need. And he knows that more than we need, the next bite of food or the next drink of water is the righteousness that we are desperately lacking. And so to hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we find ourselves lacking, does, leads us to desire to be conformed to God's image. It satisfies us with all the blessings of God. And then it motivates us to get up and seek to advance his kingdom of righteousness so that others can live in the promise of satisfaction. So... Let me just ask, 
in a world that's running from one bad solution to the next, this devoid of the righteousness of God, do you hunger for his righteousness? for yourself and for others. As I said, I don't doubt that in this room that there are lots of people who do. And you're actively involved seeking to see what God said about you be true as you seek to live a righteous life. I don't doubt that there, there are people who hunger for this, who are committing time, energy, and money to this. And I want you to hear the encouragement. You are blessed. Because his promise is you will be satisfied. But if you've never ever considered what it is to be hungry, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I don't want you to drum up that desire within you. I don't want you to put it on. I don't want you to fake it till you make it. I want you in these next few moments to plead with God with the blessing that satisfies the hunger and the thirst for his righteousness because it is the, it's the only promise, it's the promise that you can count on. Let's pray. Father God, how desperately we need you. Sometimes we realize it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we pursue you, and sometimes we give in to the desires that compete with that, the passions of our flesh that wage war against our soul. Would you move on us, your people? Bless us with growing appetites for your righteousness. And if there be any here today that don't and never have known that, that hunger, would you put it on today? they might walk in this blessing and they might participate in your mission to advance your kingdom. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name, spirit, by your power.